0: Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Well, tonight in the few moments that we have, we want to end our revival week by talking about sharing the gospel. Now, we started off on Sunday morning talking about meeting with Jesus daily, which is the core of the victorious Christian life. Unless you behold God daily and abide in him, you will not walk in revival. So we've got to meet with him daily. And then secondly, we talked about Sunday morning about what revival actually is and where we need to be revived. And Sunday night, we talked about reviving prayer and praise the Lord that your church is in a whole year emphasis on prayer, not a week emphasis, not 21 days, not a month, but y'all are doing a year of prayer. And that's why that board is up there and praise the Lord for that. Reviving prayer, the prayer meeting should be full in every American church. If we truly believe what God says about prayer, the prayer meeting should be the biggest night of the week. That's my opinion, and I'm sticking with it. Monday night, we talked about demolishing strongholds. So in our sinfulness, whenever we're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, we allow sin to build upon sin in our lives in this areas where we're given over to the flesh and to the enemy and this develops strongholds and so Monday night we talked about how we can have freedom over any sin in our life by the power of the gospel we talked about spiritual amnesia on Tuesday night we talked about all the things we forget whenever we sin and so the key is is to remember to meditate in God's word and remember and keep preaching to ourselves the truth of the gospel Wednesday night does anybody remember what we talked about Wednesday night I'm sitting here walking through this list and the preacher has forgotten. What did we talk about Wednesday night? Let's think about it for a second. What was it? Live in daily revival. No. Yes, that was it. How to live in daily revival. So revival corporately is one thing, but it's another thing on how we individually walk in daily revival, how we cooperate with God for life change. Then last night, we looked at the prophet Jeremiah and we talked about how to over, overcome discouragement and to walk in daily Uh, based according to the call of God, the burning of God, the promises of God. The whole reason I went back all all through that journey with you is because this has been a journey this week. We've journeyed through major principles of the Christian walk. And it would be a great disservice for us to leave on a Friday night and not talk about, now that we've been growing on the inside, not to go out into a lost world and pour it out. Now let me just say this real quick. A revived church shares the gospel, an unrevived church does not. It's that simple. The statistics tell us that only 2% of believers in America share their faith regularly. Only 2%. Now let me tell you why that's so troubling. It's been going on my whole life, and while I'm not that old, uh, I'm getting ready to turn 43 years, I can just, uh, 43 years old, I can just say this, a lot of things can happen in a few years, more or less 43. So here's what's going on in our country. The population is skyrocketing, yet the believers aren't sharing their faith. So, over time, the population as it skyrockets, you got more and more people who are lost, not walking in the freedom and the power of the gospel. They're not being made into disciples. And guess what? Lost people do? They act lost. And so, every night on the nightly news, you get a big loss report of what loss does all day long. And then, here's what the Christians do we all sit back and go, Man, can you believe what this world's coming to? Man, it, I, what are people thinking? They're not thinking. Can you believe people act like that? Well, they've been acting like that since Genesis 3. In fact, one time it was so bad, God sent a worldwide flood. Because the Bible says, other than Noah and his family, everybody else on planet Earth, evil was on their mind continually. So it's been bad since Genesis 3. And so what happens is, is when the population goes up around us, but the Christians stay quiet about their faith, stop complaining. I mean, because the fault is not on sin. Sin's, I mean, I, you understand what I mean by that. Sin's been sin. The fault is that the people who have the cure aren't sharing it. Right. Not sharing it. Imagine for a moment that your whole city comes down with a certain type of cancer, but yet we have the cure for that particular type, but no one gives it away. So everybody's walking around all cancerous and they have all the symptoms of the cancer. They end up dying of the cancer. And we're, man, we're like, man, look at that cancer. That cancer is so bad. Can you believe this? Oh, I'm sorry, do you have the cure? Yeah. Do you ever give it away? No, it's uncomfortable. No, I don't know how to share about it. How long have you been learning about it? Oh, I've heard about five billion sermons. But I'm scared of sharing it. So can I just say this? That's exactly what's been going on in our country. Now, I'm not an expert, but I know this. Most Christians do not share their faith. The average conversation, and I've been in the church my whole life, very rarely do you run across a believer on a Sunday morning who walks up and says, hey, I don't want to talk about football. I don't want to talk about who won the college basketball game last night. But I tell you what, can you pray with me? This week, I was able to share the gospel with three people. Their names are this, this, this. Will you pray with me that they'll come to know Christ? That is a rare conversation with the people of God. So tonight, I just want to say this. You cannot walk in revival and not share the good news. A product of walking in victorious Christianity is that you share. It overflows. Because when you're aligned with the Father, you're aligned with His great commission. So in Luke chapter 10 tonight, we see a very famous parable, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you know the parable well, but I want to walk us through it tonight and ask us a question. Do you love your community? Do you love your community? Now I want to say this, not only is your church doing a year of prayer, but we found out this week that your church has a ministry where you help people with some of their uh, home needs, like clothing needs and food needs, as a way to share the gospel. Praise the Lord for that. But I want to encourage you tonight, every individual Christian needs to take up the mantle of a love for our community and for our world, especially in the name of the gospel. Look with me, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Hey, what's written in the law? What's your understanding of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Let me just explain this real quick. I find this very astonishing. So here's what happens. A lawyer walks up and he's not saved. Now he's a Jew, but he's not saved. In fact, he knows the Old Testament law. And he walks up to Jesus, and he knows there's something different about Jesus. He knows Jesus is a master teacher. He knows Jesus is professing to be God in the flesh. So he walks up to him. And he goes, "Hey, um, can I run something by you? How do I go to heaven when I die?" And here's what Jesus says: Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. You do that, you'll go to heaven. Now, right there, I'm very confused. There has never been, I grew up in a Bible-believing church, I've always been a Bible-believing church, a gospel-preaching church, I haven't heard that one time. There has never been a time that my pastor has gotten up and said, who wants to be saved? Here's what you should do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Not one pastor has ever gotten up and said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself and you'll go to heaven. So why did Jesus just do that? Does Jesus not know what John 3.16 says? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus, that's the way to heaven. Why didn't you just tell him that? Here's why. Jesus is revealing to this guy that he's a sinner because this guy doesn't think he is one. You see, this guy walked up to Jesus, and he's self-righteous. In other words, he's like 8 out of 10 people in America. If you were to drive down to Valley View Walmart tonight, or any Walmart in this city, and you were to stand outside Walmart, and people come up, and you would say, hey, sir, how are you doing tonight? Oh, great, I'm doing fine. Hey, are you going to heaven when you die? Eight out of ten Americans will look at you and go, hmm? And then you go, why? They'll say, because I'm a good person. That's what that lawyer was doing. That lawyer was literally saying, Lord, what's the ticket to heaven? And here's what Jesus was basically saying, perfection. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love every person with the love of God from the day you're born to the day you die. In other words, be perfect, and if you're holy as God is holy, you'll go to heaven. Here's the problem. No one is. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what Jesus is trying to get this guy to do is say, you know what? I've never, I, don't, I don't cut the bill. I, I, I don't measure up. What should I do? But that's not what this guy does. You know what this guy does? He goes, Who's my neighbor? Now, first of all, I want to walk up to him. I mean, I know he's a lawyer, but I want to walk up to him and say, Hey, forget your neighbor. Are you telling me that you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? This guy thought he did. In other words, this guy thought, I'm not a sinner. God owes me one. I deserve to go to heaven because I am a self righteous. In other words, I don't need a savior. That guy, at that very moment, when Jesus revealed what God's perfect standard was, of which only Jesus has fulfilled, that guy should have hit the ground and said, Oh my, I am a sinner, I have failed miserably, what must I do to be saved? But that's not what he does. He tries to twist it and he goes, I know I don't love everybody, so could you define who neighbor is? And that's when Jesus gives the good Samaritan parable. Now, before we walk through the Good Samaritan parable, what we're getting ready to see is Jesus says, this is what true love looks like. And we're going to see three simple things about how we know whether or not we truly love our neighbor. Because this guy's problem is, is not only did he not love God, he hated certain groups of people. He was an absolute sinner like the rest of us, and Jesus is getting ready to reveal it to him. Take a look with me at verse 30. So Jesus answered and said to him, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about a seven or eight mile trip. It's a dangerous trip because there's cliffs and rocks everywhere and people would hide behind them and hijack people. They would rob people. And so he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and they wounded him and he departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. So let's just stop there real quick. What's going on? So basically, Jesus tells a story about a Jewish man who's walking down a road, and he gets robbed. They rob him, they wound him, and they leave him in the ditch over here on the right, half dead. So a Jewish man is left half dead in the ditch. He's been a victim. Well, along comes a priest who's also a Jew. And he walks down the road, and he looks over and goes, Huh, there's one of my fellow Jews. He might die in a little while. You know what? I know I should probably help him, but I got to hurry up and get to church and tell people about how to love God and love others, and I got to get there on time. So he just goes on. Well, then a Levite comes down the street, and you say, "What's a Levite?" He was a religious guy. We'll call him an associate pastor. He walks down, he looks over, and goes, "You know what? I too am a Jew. Right there is one of my Jewish brethren. They're one of you know God's chosen people." Um, He looks like he's going to die in a little while, but you know what? I better hurry up and get to church on time. I I was late last week and pastor just jumped all over me about it and he's my boss. I better hurry up and get there so that we can tell people how to love God and love others. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes on the scene called a Samaritan. Now you say, why is that so interesting? A Samaritan was a half Jew, half Gentile, and the Jews hated Samaritans. Now... Raise your hand if you're not a Jew by birth, all right? That's most of us in this room. Guess what the Jews would have called you in Jesus' day? A dog. Raise your hand if you're a dog, all right? Don't start barking. Just raise your hand if you're a dog. In Jesus' day, the Jews looked at us as absolutely unclean because the Gentiles represented lost mankind and did all sorts of defiling things, and they said, hey, you're not clean. You don't know the one true God, so they called us dogs. Well, if you think they didn't like Gentiles, they hated Samaritans even more. A Samaritan was a half-Jew, half, Jew, half doll, a half ton. <laughs> was a half-Jew, half-Gentile. And the Jews considered them scum of the earth. So down, comes, down the path comes this Samaritan. Now picture this. The Samaritan is considered the scum of the earth by the Jewish guy in the ditch. he's walking, he looks over and he goes, there's someone who thinks I'm scum of the earth. He's going to die in a little while and somebody helps him. You know, I'm busy and i got a pretty big agenda and I'm on my way to Jerusalem for some business, but you know what? The right thing to do is to take care of this guy. So he walks over and the Bible says he picks him up and he begins to minister to him. Notice what happens. We see the first test of true love. Look with me. Jesus said in verse 33, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had something called what? Compassion. Here's the first thing I want to tell you about love, according to what Jesus says in the Good Samaritan parable, and that is love feels. Love feels. Now, I'll be honest with you, the first time I wrote this down, I questioned it, because I'm like, is this true? And you may question it tonight, too. You may say, wait a second, I've heard sermons that say love is not a feeling, it's a choice. I agree. I've had people sit in front of me in my office who are having marital problems and say, I don't feel in love with this person anymore. Well, bud, love's not a feeling, it's a choice. However, it doesn't mean that it can't feel, and true love does feel. Here's what happened. The Samaritan's walking down the road. He's considered scum of the earth by a guy in the ditch, and he looks over, and he doesn't just see that it's the right thing to do. Jesus says his heart was moved with compassion, with compassion. You know what the word compassion here means? It means he was moved in the gut. It literally means moved in the bowels. That's how deep this gut-level, gut-seated compassion was. He was moved with compassion from the deepest parts of who he was. And here's the deal. The guy in the ditch is his enemy. He's moved in the gut for his enemy. You know where else I see this in the Bible? Anybody recognize this verse? And Jesus looked out amongst the people, and they were like sheep scattered without a shepherd, and he was moved with compassion. Jesus looked out on us and was moved in the gut. Here's another one. The psalmist said, rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep God's law. Hey, here's something real quick. The psalmist looks out on his community, his Roanoke, and instead of complaining about what everybody's doing, he weeps. He says, when I watch the nightly news, I don't get on social media and start blasting and blah, 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 blah. By the way, anybody sick of that? Amen. Yes. He says, when I watch the nightly news, I weep. Rivers of water run down from my eyes because people in Roanoke don't keep God's law because they don't know God and there's only one solution— I've been commissioned to go out and tell them. Love feels. I never forget one time I was uh, in Goshen uh, at a men's prayer advance. And Pastor, you may have been there. This was, I don't know, this would have been back in like 2011, 12. And we were back in Goshen up in the middle of nowhere. Now, you know, Goshen, it is the middle of nowhere, there is nothing. And there's this young life camp there, and we were up there at a men's prayer events, and there were about 800 men there, and we had been praying and listening to preaching for three days. And that year, they invited a pastor by the name of Glendy Hamilton. Now, you can go on his website. He's a pastor down in Florida. His name is Glendy Hamilton. I'd never heard him speak before. But it was on a Friday morning around 10 o'clock, and they go to introduce Glendy Hamilton. Now, the interesting thing is he had a major stuttering problem. I mean, I can't even begin to mimic it. It was an incredible stuttering problem. And before he got up to speak, the speaker said, now, gentlemen, uh, our next speaker is a pastor in Florida, and uh, his name is Glendy Hamilton, and he said, I just got to tell you something very interesting about Pastor Glendy. He said, since 1993, now, this was like in 2008, 9, 10, 11, I've lost track of which year it is, but it had been like 15 years. He said, since 1993 one morning in his quiet time he got such a burden for lost people such a compassion for lost people that he simply in his quiet time said God I believe you're moving me to ask you for a soul a day so here's what he did next God give me a soul a day and what I want is I don't only want to just share the gospel with a person every day I want to see them come and profess you as Lord and Savior Now, I'm sitting here listening to this, and I've been in ministry, I guess, at that time, about 15 years. I'm going, nah. Nah. Uh Uh-uh. There is no way that this guy for 15 years has witnessed to a person every day, and they've made a profession of faith. Well, here's what the guy said next. He said, oh, and by the way, he's not missed a day. So then they introduce him, and he gets up, and he is stuttering all over himself. Were you there? He is stuttering all over himself. I mean, you have to really tune in to understand what he's saying. And I never forget, he got up and said something like this. He goes, I already know what all y'all are thinking. And he wasn't being proud. He just was used to the ridicule. He goes, there's some of you sitting here right now going, nah, it hadn't happened. He goes, I'm telling you, it's happened. He said, every day for the past 15 years, God has given me a soul a day to witness to. And before I walked away, they called on Jesus to save them. And he said, and I've already heard some of the things. He said, some of you want to walk up to me. He said, I've had some of you do this after I speak. You come walking up to me and go, how do you know those were true conversions? And he said, and here's my answer to that. That's between them and God. God does the saving. I do the telling. I'll leave that on God and them. And then he looked out at all of us, and he said, and if you're thinking the same way, here's my question for you. So what are you doing? So sure enough, I googled his church website, found him, pastor there in Florida. He has not missed a day since 1993. What moved that pastor to ask for a soul a day? He was moved with compassion. For the lost world around him. He wasn't moved to blast the lost world on Facebook. He wasn't blast, uh, moved to blast everybody in arguing. By the way, and I don't know who all has been arguing, but if you've been like the Christian arguer for the past two years on Facebook, blasting the world, how many people have gotten saved through your blasting? They will know that we are Christians by our love love feels. But here's the second thing I see in the passage. Look with me. He then says not only was he moved with compassion, and and I'm paraphrasing here, not only was he moved in a worship service and came forward at I surrender all on the invitation and wept a little bit, he actually left church and did something. Look what happened in verse 34. So he went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Here's the second thing Jesus has told us about love, and it's very simple. You don't have to go to Bible college to figure it out. Love does. Love doesn't just feel. Love doesn't just come forward an invitation and say, "Oh, I feel like I should do something." That emotional compelling moves into obedient action. Love does. So the good Samaritan looks over at him and says, hey, I'm, I'm going to do something about this. So he picks him up. He completely stops his agenda. He takes him to a hotel. He bandages him up. He, 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 he gives him medicine. And he begins to take care of somebody that he's never even met before. And not only that, this guy that he's taken care of, if he wasn't all beat up, would be calling this guy scum of the earth. In other words, they don't smell like each other. They don't talk to each other. They don't even vote like each other. And this guy's laying aside everything to take care of them. you think the world needs a little more of that these days? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says in the latter days, love will wax cold. It's most definitely waxing cold in the world, but I want to tell you it's waxing cold in God's house. A revived people are full of the love of God. I'll tell you something. A few weeks ago here in Roanoke, we were in Roanoke a few weeks ago, and I was preaching at a pastor's conference over at Catawba Valley Baptist one morning, and God was just really working. And I preached a sermon that I, that I had just written for that day. And it was going through the prayer that Jesus prayed for believers in John 17, 2,000 years before we were ever born. And I, I would challenge you, go home and look at it tonight. If you want to know what Jesus prayed for you before you were ever born, go to John 17. And here's something Jesus prayed for all the believers that would come to know him through the word of the apostles, which would be us. He said, Lord, I pray that the love that the Father has for me, the Son, would be in them. Now, I'm going to stop right there, and I want you to grasp that for a moment. Jesus prayed 2,000 years before we were ever even born that those who would trust in him And be born again, that once we were born again, that the love that God the Father has for God the Son, that kind of love would be in His people. I got a question for you tonight. Just how much does God the Father love God the Son? Could you even attempt to describe that? I mean, when I was preparing for this message a few weeks ago, I just dropped my Bible. That's usually what I do when I'm astounding. I just drop my Bible and say, God, that is absolutely indescribable. And God's like, that's the point. You remember what Paul prayed for us? That we would know the breadth and the width and the height of the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge or understanding. In other words, God prays that we would be so full of his love by the Holy Spirit, who's poured the love of God in our heart, that we'd be so full of the love that we couldn't even begin to describe it because it's indescribable. Now, here's why I bring all this up real quick. And again, the evangelists can blow in, blow up, and blow out. For the past two years, and I pastored during the first half of COVID, and some of you, I've had the privilege of being your pastor, but I'm just going to shoot very straight with you. COVID revealed our lack of love. You're a devil if you wear a mask. You're a devil if you don't wear a mask. So much for the love that the Father has for the Son being in us. The past two years in the church alone has revealed the shallowness of our love. We are so far away from, may the love that the Father has for the Son be in Mark. That's the love that will be willing to lay down its life not only for His friends, but for His enemies. Love does. I know if we forget. Years ago, um, someone said, "Mark, you ought to go on YouTube and check this out." There's this famous entertainer in Las Vegas. He's a famous illusionist or magician, whatever you want to call him. His name is Penn Gillian. Is that right? Gillette. Gillette. Yeah, you know. I, I, I've got to write this down because I get it wrong every sermon. Penn Gillette, not David Copperfield, but almost as famous. Penn Gillette. He's very famous. He's very good at what he does. And someone came to me a few years ago and said, do you know who Penn Jillette is? I'm like, no, I barely watch television. And he's like, well, he's a very famous entertainer, but here's the thing, he's an atheist. And I said, you ought to go on YouTube and listen to what this guy said. So I pulled up YouTube and here's what he said. He gets on and he's got thousands of followers. And he says now to all of his followers, he goes, y'all know I'm an atheist, right? And they're all, well, I guess they're like, right, yeah. And he's, and he's given this YouTube video. He goes, and he goes, th- he said this, he goes, but I gotta tell you what happened to me the other night after one of my shows. He said, after one of my shows, he goes, I'm used to signing autographs for hundreds of people. And he said, usually I'll stand up front and people will come up after the show and I'll sign an autograph. Hey, how you doing? Sign an autograph. And he said, the other night, he said, I was standing there signing autographs and I looked over to my right and there was a man standing up against the wall with a little green book and he just stood there and he waited patiently for every person to come by for me to sign their autograph. And finally, after I'd signed everyone's autograph, he walked up to me. And he said, this is what he said to me. He said, Mr. Penn, he said, I know you're an atheist. He said, but you're really good at what you do. He said, man, the show tonight has been so entertaining. He said, you're really gifted. He said, my family had a great time. He said, but if you have just a quick moment, I would like to give you something. He said, I am what you call a Gideon. He said, I'm a Christian businessman, and businessman." And he said, I've been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, God's word changed my life. And he said, if you don't mind, I would love to give you a copy of the New Testament. And he said, right inside the New Testament, I've written out all the verses that you need to go to to find out how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And then Penn said, he handed me the Bible. And then he said this, he said, I thanked him for it. And he said, then I looked that man straight in the eyes. And he said, I never will forget. He goes, he truly cared about me. And then this is what he said to the church. This is not my word. This is an atheist word. He again got a little upset. And he said, to all of you Christians out there who've been to my shows, and he goes, I know millions of you have. He said, not one of you have ever walked up and shared with me the gospel, and you all know I'm an atheist. And he said, here's what I have to say about that. He said, all you Bible-thumping Christians, he said, you actually believe that if I was to leave my show tonight and walk across the street and get hit by a Mack truck, That I would die and split hell wide open. But you'll come to my show, laugh, be entertained, clap, and walk out and not tell me what you believe the cure is for my problem. And then he said this He said, How bad do you have to hate somebody to have the cure for hell and not tell them? And then he said this to all of his followers He said, I'm still an atheist. But then tears began to roll down his face. He said, but I'm going to tell you something. That guy who gave me that Bible the other night, he said, he really cared about me. And I could tell it. You know what an atheist just told the church? Love does. The atheist, they could care less about all those great songs we sing tonight. The atheist could care less about what you put on your church sign. And they can care less about what we do in here on Sunday. You know what they're looking for? Do you really mean what you say? Love does. Here's the last one. Love cost. Take a look with me, verse 35. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper and he said to him, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. I will repay you. Uh, former Britain Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, she said this. She said, The Good Samaritan wouldn't mean much, but he had money. Even she knew that true love cost, and you prove it by what you give away. This guy first was moved with compassion, and he didn't just say, I care, he showed he cared. Love went from compassion to love does. He picked the guy up, he takes him to the hotel, he takes care of him, and then he wants to make sure he's taken care of, so he pays for him to stay there a few more days, and he looks at the innkeeper and says, hey, if you need anything else, I'll pay you when I get back. Make sure this guy is taken care of. Love cost. You want to know one of the biggest reasons we don't share the gospel? Because it costs us. You say money? Well, it can, but I want to tell you what's going on in the American church. It's not money. We're the richest group of people that have ever walked the planet our poor are richer than most of the world you know what it's going to cost us this little feeble shallow thing called comfort i've been in the church now for over 40 years most people do not share their faith for one simple thing i don't want to be uncomfortable well what if i get it wrong um Jesus died, was buried, rose again. I trusted in him. He changed my life. Enough said. Would you like him too? I mean, how many sermons do we have to hear to get that down? Let's try it one more time. And I'm I'm not being sarcastic, but as a pastor for 25 years, I cannot tell you how many times people that have been saved longer than I've been alive have looked at me and said, well, I'm scared I'll goof it up. Jesus lived a perfect life in my place. Jesus died on the cross in my place. Why did he do that? Because I'm a sinner and he wasn't. He took my sin so that by his blood he could forgive me of my sin. He did not stay on the grave. On Easter Sunday he rose again, triumphing over death, sin, and hell, proving that he was God and that he alone could be the Savior of the world. One day someone told me that news. I realized I was a sinner. I called on him to forgive me. He forgave me my sin, gave me his righteousness. I'm now right with God through Jesus Christ alone. He put his Holy Spirit inside of me. I'm now a new creation. He is Lord of my life. Would you like to receive him? That sounds hard. Can you preach me another sermon about that one? (laughs) And here's the second reason we don't share the gospel it's uncomfortable. Love cost. We can sing songs all day long as the church and say that we love, but it has to be proven. My wife told me the other day, Valerie's by the grace of God, has read through the scriptures six times in the past two years, and she keeps catching these different themes, and she looked at me the other day, and she said, now that I've read through the Bible six times in two years, she goes, you know what I'm starting to see? That many times, especially in, in the Baptist church that we forget about, She said, did you know that over 300 times in the Bible, God commands his people to take care of the poor? Over 300 times. Do you think if God says something 300 times, he like means it? I never forget, years ago, I was pastor in Luray, Virginia, and it was the closest thing to a modern-day revival I have ever seen. Within four and a half years, we baptized 180 people. Most of them were adults. And, and God was just at work. It was incredible. And I never forget one day, a lady came up to me, and I, maybe she was in her 60s, and a beautiful lady in Christ. She just glowed the Lord. Her name was Judy. And Judy came up to me one day, and she said, Pastor Mark, she goes, I've got a real burden. And I said, What's that, Judy? She goes, God is doing such a work in our church. People are getting saved left and right. And she said, And I want to get in on it. And I said, Well, praise the Lord. I said, What do you have in mind? She goes, every day when I walk into CVS, I am gripped with a burden for the ladies who work in the drugstore. I said, oh, really? Now, by the way, what's she describing? Love, which, which part is she describing? Love what? Love feels. She's got a burden. So it starts with a burden. So she's walking into CVS and she's all of a sudden moved with compassion. So now she realizes I can just feel or I can move to doing. And she realizes she needs to do something. So she looks at me, she goes, there's eight ladies that work in there, and I won't forget what she told me. She goes, none of them are Christians. And she said, on top of that, one of them professes to be an atheist, one is a lesbian, and none of them are Christians. And she said, every time I walk in the drugstore, I can barely shop because I'm moved with such a burden for these ladies. I said, so, well, so what do you want to do about it? She goes, well, here's what I'd like you to do, Pastor Mark. I want you to pray that I would know how to reach these ladies. I said, absolutely. So I started praying with her. Well, she came back to me a couple weeks later and she said, Pastor Mark, I got a great idea. I said, what's that? She goes, well, she goes, here's what I'm going to do. She says, I've decided I'm going to start a Bible study at my house and invite every one of these ladies to come to my house. I said, that's great. And she goes, I'm going to make them food. I'm going to go in and invite them to my house. She goes, but here's the catch, Pastor Mark. She said, as CVS, they have to work every night of the week, except for Sunday night, they get off at 6 o'clock. And she goes, that's when we have Sunday night church. She said, would you be fine if I miss Sunday night church to have the Bible study at my house? I, first of all, I about fell over. Secondly, I stood up and said, absolutely. And then I wanted to say this. Well, everybody else misses church for every other reason. You might as well miss it to go share Jesus with somebody. It sure beats watching Jeopardy. <laughs> so I said, absolutely. So we prayed with her. Well, here's what happened. She went in. I mean, it's this simple. It is a true story. She made a little flyer. She walked into CVS one day moved past her comfort zone, walked up to each one of those ladies with her glowing, radiating Jesus face, (laughs) and said, ma'am, I love you, and every time I come in here, I pray for you, thank you for all you do, I'm having a Bible study at my house, and I'd like to do it for all you ladies, would you come? Well, she came back to me, she said, Pastor Mark, I invited every one of those ladies, she goes, I don't have a clue if they're coming. She goes, but Sunday's coming. I said, we'll be praying. Well, sure enough, that Sunday night at 6 o'clock. Her driveway filled up every single lady came to her bible study she had a better percentage of attendance with a bunch of lost people on a Sunday night bible study than we do in church it's great being the evangelist <laughs> it's great so they all pulled up now they had a leader and I forget what her name was but they only did what she did you know peer pressure isn't just in middle school it's with adults too and if she was happy, the group was happy. If she wasn't happy, they weren't happy. If she was cynical, they were cynical. So they all followed the, the, the lady in that was the boss. She, true story, Judy said she opened her door and they followed that lady in, walked right past her and said, where do we go? And she said, uh, well, you can step around to my living room. She said they all walked in and the whole group sat on one side of the living room and Judy had asked a younger lady in the church to help her. They sat on the other side. She said, the lady who was the boss, she just did her arms like that, and they just stared her down. Now, you're talking about uncomfortable. Yeah. Judy just loved on them. said, well, I am so glad y'all came tonight. She walked through the entire Bible study. She goes, do any of you have any questions? They all looked to the boss lady. The boss lady said, mm-mm. So they all went, mm-mm. And then she said, well, if you don't have any questions, I'd love to feed you. They said, where's that at? She said, it's in my kitchen. So she ushered him right over to the kitchen. She fed them. They left. Judy came to me the next day because you know the devil's going to be all over you. Judy came to me the next day and said, I must have done it all wrong. I said, no, you didn't. You know what success is? And by the way, let me get this down for everybody. Success is you being obedient. Success It. you know how I know that? Moreover, it is found that stewards be found faithful. You don't save anybody. You're not responsible for the reaction. You be faithful. Judy says, Pastor Mark, I don't think anybody's going to come back next week, but we'll be ready. I said, well, let's pray. The next week, all eight of those ladies pulled right back up in the driveway, walked right in. I mean, this is two Sundays in a row. They should get like a wana badges or something. They walked right in. They sat down. They did this. She did the Bible study. Where do we eat? They got up and ate. Same thing. Third week came. Finally, halfway in the Bible study, the boss lady decided to speak. And you know what she did? She used a profanity. And I won't tell you what she said. So finally someone spoke and they cussed. This is amazing. (laughs) Judy answered her question. They ate, they left. The fourth week came. Those ladies marched right in. They sat on one side of the living room. Judy and Emily sat on the other. They stared him down, they walked through the Bible study, and finally, Judy goes, are you sure none of y'all have any questions? The boss lady looked at her and said, I got one. Judy said, what is it? Just why are you doing this? Judy said, because I love you and Jesus Christ, years ago on an Easter Sunday, changed my life. She said, hmm. Fifth week came, they started asking more questions. The sixth week came, they started asking more questions. On week seven, Judy looked at them and said, now ladies, we only got one more week. And they started crying. And they said, please don't stop. We are learning so much. No one has ever done this for us. On the eighth week, they said, Judy, not only can you not stop, but we've been over to the hair salon next door to the CVS. We've told them what you've done for us. They want you to start one for them. (laughs) And guess what? On the following Sunday morning, Church was packed out, but guess who was sitting on the second row? Boss lady and her husband, who does everything she says. (laughs) They sat right down on the first row and they brought one of the friends, and I got to preach the gospel to them. You say, Why do you tell me that story? Love cost. I wonder if when I get to heaven and see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, every race, every language group, and God says, Do you see my glory? hey, you see all this? Would you like to sing Our God Saves real quick? Yeah? And then we're all caught up in that. And then he looks at Mark Hopkins and says, and Mark, you got in on some of it. But there was more you could have got in on that I made available to you. But you chose something else. You chose mediocrity. You chose jeopardy. You chose comfort. You chose living for a world that I told you all along was temporary. You're saved. You let me work in your life quite a bit. But now that you see the glory of it all, don't you wish you had got in on more? Love feels. Love does. Love costs. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.